Good morning, everyone. Today we read from Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath saying, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy I will proclaim the Lord's degree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. He will break them with a rod of iron. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Thank you. real blessing and privilege to stand here and um, to open God's words today with you. But before we do that, um, let us pray and ask God for help. Heavenly Father, you are the God of heaven and earth. You're the creator of the universe. And we come before you this morning humbly. And we want to get to know you more. And we pray in turn that you will teach us more about us as well. And we pray may this not be an intellectual exercise, but may by the power of your spirit you touch and affect our souls today. So we pray, Father, fill your church with your Holy Spirit this morning and teach us, rebuke us, And also, let us rejoice in your Son, Jesus. And we pray all these things for your glory, and in Jesus' name, amen. I encourage you, um, keep your Bibles open in front of you, if you can, uh, while we step through these verses. About four years ago, Christine and I, um, we became Australian citizens. And this was a big day for us. Um, We actually celebrated it with our growth group or gospel community, as we call it, at Ann Street. So we all went over to the Brisbane Town Hall, and the hall was packed with people. And they were all sitting there eagerly waiting to get their citizenship certificate so that they could say, I'm a true Aussie now. But before we could get our citizenship, we had to pledge our loyalty to Australia and its people. And we had to say these, the following words. We had to say, from this time forward, under God, I pledge my loyalty to Australia and its people. 
And we did this, and uh, we got our citizenship. But let me tell you, even though I'm an Australian now, I still don't get your cricket. I don't know how it works. But anyway, had we become in citizenship 25 years ago, the pledge, because we would have to pledge our allegiance to the royal family, to the queen. So 25 years ago, we would have to say these words. I swear by Almighty God that I be faithful and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty Elizabeth II, Queen of Australia. Well, Psalm 2 is also talking about an allegiance, but it's an allegiance to God and to the ultimate king, to his son Jesus. It's a pledge of allegiance that is requested of all people from all nations, whether that is Gentiles or Jews, Australians or Germans. It's requested of all people. And you see, Psalm 2 says there are only two options, really. Either we are with God and pledge our allegiance to Christ, our King, or we are against him. Either we submit to God or we live in rebellion and eyes enemies. So today we will be looking at three points in Psalm 2. First, why are the people rebelling against God and his Messiah? Second, how is God responding to all that? And third, what is God calling us to do? So come with me and have a look at um, the first two verses, which are really setting the scene for this psalm. We have the nations and the peoples that rage, and the kings of the earth, and the rulers that rise up and conspire together against God and his anointed, against God and his Messiah. This is a full-blown rebellion. On the one hand, we have these earthly kings and rulers assembling their armies, and on the other hand, we have God and his Messiah. This is the setup. This rebellion is setting the scene for this psalm. So let's look at our first point. Why are they rebelling? Have a look at verse 3. What are they saying, these enemies of God? They say, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. What they mean is this. Let us break their chains, or let, the break, let us break the chains that God has put on us. We declare war against God because we want to be free from God. In their mind, it's a declaration of independence from God. They are saying, we don't want anyone to tell us what to do. We don't want to be appointed by God. Now, we want to set ourselves as kings. We want to be our own gods. Let's pause here for a second. Does this remind you of anything? The same old rebellion against God that we can see from Genesis 3 onwards, starting with Adam and Eve and all the way up to this very day today. Man hasn't changed. We are all sinners. and We are still in rebellion. Today it might be labeled differently, the so-called rebellion against God. Today it's called a war for individualism, a war for pro-choice, a war to fight for freedom to express myself no matter what God says. In effect, looking at Victoria these days, we can see it's a war to restrict the truth of God's word by law. But don't be fooled. This is not a war of independence. It's a cry from prisoners, a cry from people in captivity. 
and in bondage. And they are not in bondage to God as they, as they think they are. No, they are in bondage to sin and to the devil. It's a cry of death, not a war of independence. And it leads to destruction. Ernest Henley, um, an English writer, captured this mentality in a poem. He once wrote, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Isn't this what so many people think today, that they are the captain of their soul? It's all about me, they say. I am in charge of my life, and I won't let anyone tell me what to do, especially not God. So you see, that's the reason why the people rage against God. That's the reason why the people and the world is as it is today. The problem in the world is not climate change or inequality. The real problem, the root problem, is what it has always been. It's sin. It's our rebellion against God. And he warns us, if, if we do not submit to him, this will lead to our destruction. And this brings us to our second point for today. What's God's response to all this? You know, the reality is that our rebellion is futile because it's not a real battle. It's over before it even started. Look at verse 4. What's God's first response to those earthly kings and people that plot against him? The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. You see, the people who rage against God, they don't know what they are up against, do they? God Almighty, who's sitting in heaven on his throne, he is the one in control. He knows about all their plans. He is the one who rules. He's in heaven and holy and righteous, so high above everything else that no man can ever reach him. So what does he do? He laughs at them. He mocks them. He laughs because he's invincible and all-powerful. And he knows that ultimately his will will be done. And man's rebellion is in vain. And by the way, don't get distracted by the word Lord in lower cases here. It's not the Hebrew word Yahweh, but it's the word Adonai. And Adonai, or Adon, is also ascribed to God in Genesis and Exodus because it conveys the idea of authority. You see, it says God is in control. And by the way, that's also the answer to, question, to the question in verse 1. The question is not so much why do the peoples rage and plot, but rather why do they do it in vain? It's because God has full authority and is a full control. He's sovereign. And we can clearly see this in his second response. Because God isn't just laughing. Do you see what's happening next? God speaks. You know what happens when God speaks? You know how powerful his word is? He spoke the entire universe into existence. Imagine what it means when he speaks with wrath and anger against you. The Puritan Matthew Henry puts it like this. He says, he speaks and it is done. He speaks in wrath, 
and sinners are undone. As a word made us, so a word can unmake us again. That's the power of God. When he speaks, we should stand in awe and reverence before him. Have a look at verse 5 and 6. God speaks here for the first time in this psalm. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. You see, when God speaks, it is done. He is the one who establishes kings and kingdoms. In fact, he has installed his ultimate king already. And nothing will change that. Because he decreed it from eternity past. And his plan cannot change. What he says is set in stone. And that's the reason why this rebellion is not a real battle. It's a battle that is over before it even started. You know, I, I used to play chess when I was a bit younger. And um, back then, my friends and I, we, we had a game that we called team chess. It's like you have two chess boards and you have four people playing it. There are two people sitting next to each other and they build one team. And it all looks like normal chess. And don't worry, I won't bother you with all the rules. But there's one extra rule, one fun rule that we had. When you catch a piece of your opponent, you can take it and give it to your teammate. And your teammate can put this piece anywhere on the board he wants to, anywhere on the board where he wants to put it. So one day we're playing this game and I have my king in a secure place. And then suddenly I get a smile from my teammate, a big smile. And he hands me the most valuable piece in the game. So now I can put this piece against my opponent anywhere on the board, anywhere on the battlefield. You see, this piece is a real game changer. In fact, it's the end of the game because the battle is already won. If I put that champion, that most valuable piece, strategically on the board, the game is over soon. There might be a little battle here and there, but overall the game is finished. And you see, it's the same here in Psalm 2. God already accomplished what his enemies wanted to avoid. The battle is already won because God is in charge and he installed his king on his holy So who is this king, you might ask now? And some of you might say, oh, it's Jesus. But I say, don't jump the gun. <laughs> um, because, well, we know Psalm 2 was probably written by King David around 3,000 years ago. And it's assumed that it was used for inauguration ceremony as a king. And later other kings might have used it as well as a song or a prayer. But none of these kings was a perfect king. None of these kings was a king that had a kingdom that reached to the ends of the earth. None of these kings fulfilled this psalm. Because have a look at verse 7, where the king starts to speak. He says, I will proclaim God's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. Or better translated, today, I have begotten you. Yes, this was all true for King David, but it's even more true for Jesus. You remember what God promised David in 2 Samuel 7? Let me read it to you. He says, 
when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish He is the one who will build a house and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. You see, it's only through Jesus that these words in 2 Samuel 2 and in this psalm, in this messianic psalm, were truly fulfilled. On the top of that, the risen Jesus himself pointed his disciples back to the Old Testament. He showed them that all scripture is pointing to him. In Luke 24, he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So today we have the privilege that we can look back to Psalm 2 and we can agree with the writer of the Hebrews, to the Hebrews, that this king, this ultimate king, this perfect king in Psalm 2 is Jesus. But sadly, we so often have a wrong idea about Jesus. You see, the biblical Jesus has nothing to do with the Jesus that you see in the shopping centers at Christmas. He's not the little cute and helpless baby who's sometimes chained to prevent people from stealing it. Um, now, Psalm 2 is talking about the risen Son of God, to whom was given all authority in heaven and on earth. He's the perfect king, ruling his everlasting kingdom at the right hand of God, at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's the game changer, the one who wins all battles, the one of whom the disciples said, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Do you see these words in verse 7? You are my son. These words are always used to exalt Christ. Whether this was at his baptism, his transfiguration, or when Paul refers to Jesus' resurrection, they are always used to show us his majesty and his holiness. And then the father goes on, and he says to the son in verse 8, I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Have you ever smashed your favorite coffee cup um, and it was dashed into hundreds of little pieces? I have done it once with my mom's coffee cup and she wasn't happy about it. But because if, if something is smashed into hundreds of pieces, that's something you don't put together again. God is talking about the complete defeat and destruction of his enemies by his son, by Jesus. So he definitely is not the cute little helpless baby anymore, is he? Can you see the authority with which Jesus is equipped? Everything belongs to him. It's all his possession. He rules the nations and is the ultimate king, the king of kings, the lord of lords. And I hope now you can see why you don't want to be his enemy. Because he also has the power to dash all his enemies into pieces. This is the wrath of God poured out on those who set themselves, who are self-righteous and rebel against him. Hell is the outcome 
for those who don't trust Jesus and for those who live a life in rebellion against God. But you know, our God is not a God who takes delight in punishment. If he would, he could have just destroyed and punished us anyway because we all deserve it. Because we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. But instead, God is full of grace and mercy. And he gives us time to be rescued. He sent his son into this world so that we can have everlasting life with him. Yes, Jesus is the one who will be the judge. And he is the one who will persecute sinners. But he's also the one who died for us, who died for our sins on the cross and rose again on the third day so that if you believe in him, you can have peace and take refuge in him. And you will not perish, but have everlasting life with him. And this is why Psalm 2 doesn't stop at verse 9. That would be terrible for all of us. But it ends with a warning and with instructions on how we should respond to Jesus, this almighty king. And this brings us to our last point for the day. How should we respond? Before we look at these instructions, um, this call to respond, let me ask you this. Do you remember what God said at the transfiguration of Jesus? It's very similar to verse 7, but God didn't just say, this is my beloved son. No, at Jesus' transfiguration, he said more than that. Something very important that's sometimes missed. He said, this is my, my beloved son. Listen to him. So let's listen carefully to his instructions while we look at the last three verses for today. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Do you see what he's saying here? You kings and rebels, you need to leave your madness behind. You need to become wise and warned. Also translated, you need to be corrected and, or instructed. You need to acknowledge that there's a king above all kings. And all the peoples, all the nations, all the kings and rulers of the earth should fear and celebrate his rule. Spurgeon once said, It is always wise to be instructed, especially when this instruction leads to the salvation of one's soul. And it's definitely true in this case, because these instructions, these imperatives, they all lead to one point. They lead to an allegiance with Christ. Because he's the one who is responsible for our salvation. We cannot do anything in our power to save ourselves from the wrath of God. It's impossible. It's only through Jesus who sits at the right hand of God and in us that we can become right with God again. So this really should bring us to our knees before our king, showing our allegiance and gratitude to him. True wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord, says the proverb. To stand in reverence and awe before him and to rejoice about what he has done for us. You see, that's the opposite of rebellion. 
self-righteousness and plotting against God. It's a submission and surrendering to Christ, with, which is all encompassed by three words in the psalm. Have a look at verse 12 again. It says, kiss the son. Well, this might sound a bit awkward to us, kissing the son, but back in the days, kissing a king meant showing your allegiance to him. In fact, even in our days, when Boris Johnson became prime minister of the UK, he went to visit the queen to ask for her permission to form the government. And this meeting is traditionally referred to kissing hands, um, even though it's more symbolic act today. But in the past, the prime minister used to kiss the queen's hand to show, uh, to show a sign of allegiance to the queen. But let me take this illustration of kissing the sun, showing our allegiance to King Jesus a bit further. In the New Testament, there are two famous kisses I want to quickly show you. Two people who literally kissed the sun, who kissed Jesus with very different outcomes. One of them is the kiss of a hypocrite, the kiss of rebellion, and the other is a kiss of allegiance. So the first one is the very famous kiss of Judas at the betrayal of Jesus when he gave him a kiss, a kiss to identify him so that he could be arrested. This was an act of a hypocrite, someone who was on the inside, one of the 12 apostles. You see, Judas was conspiring against Jesus like the people in this psalm. He turned towards the world and was an enemy of God. And for what? for some pieces of silver, for money. This kiss turned out to be a kiss of death. But I, the irony is it, it was not a kiss of death for Jesus because he rose again and he's alive. No, it was a kiss of death for Judas who died a gruesome death. You see, Judas is one of those described in the first part of verse 12, one of those whose way led him to destruction. But there's one more person in the Bible who kissed Jesus. Do you remember who? It was the woman in Luke chapter 7 who came into the house of the Pharisees, put herself in danger as a woman of low standing. In fact, she's described as a sinner, someone from the world. And she washed Jesus' feet with her hair. And then she kissed his feet. And after that, she anointed him with the most valuable perfume she had. You see, unlike Judas, she gave up her worldly treasures and kissed the son and submitted to Jesus. She showed faith, love, and an allegiance to her king. And after that, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head but she has put perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. And later Jesus says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, her faith and allegiance to Christ led to her salvation. She's one of those described in the last verse of Psalm. She's one who's blessed because she took refuge in Jesus. So to close today, let me ask you this. 
which side are you on today? Have you pledged your allegiance to Jesus, your king? Or do you live in a rebellion against him? Because there's no neutral ground in between. We can't have just a little bit of Jesus here and there whenever we need him. Either we submit our whole life to him, or we are his enemies. And by the way, that just in the song, I don't know if you realize, but what we were singing, Jesus is my life. Um, all I have is Christ. So, but if, you, if we are his enemies, then God's wrath is coming. So that is you, the psalmist, and I plead with you today. Flee to Christ. Call upon the only name that saves. Call upon Jesus to grant you saving faith. Well, maybe you're not sure about this and have questions or you don't know where you stand with Jesus. Come and have a chat with the elders or Steve or me after the service. We would love to talk to you. But if you're here this morning as a follower of Christ, let me ask you, how do you plan to continue to show your allegiance to your king? How do you plan to serve him well in your life and put him first? Do you plan for the next months or do your plans for the next months include the Bible passage that you always wanted to study so that you can learn more about him, learn more about who this king, who your savior is? Or perhaps there's someone at church you could continually pray for. Or maybe you're not part of a growth group here at KPC and you want to be more engaged with God's people. Again, I encourage you, talk to the elders or the ministry team about it today. It's a good time to do that today. There's one more thing I would like to share with you before I finish. Um, this week at QDC, one of the students said a sentence which just struck me. Um, it is simple but profound. He said, God's kingdom is bigger than your local church. Let's keep this in mind while we think about how we can show our ongoing allegiance and serve Jesus as our king. Let's keep in mind that this kingdom, his kingdom, reaches to the ends of the earth and that he employed us for the harvest and for gospel partnership with this, within this kingdom. Let's keep in mind that as Christians, our main aim in life is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Um, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Psalm 2, for reminding us that we all are in need of a Savior. We all are in need of Jesus. And Father, we pray for those who might not yet have taken refuge in your Son, who haven't kissed your Son. We pray that you might grant them saving faith, that you show mercy and um, bring them into your kingdom. And we pray for us as followers of Christ that we will never forget this privilege, this grace that you showed us, something that we do not deserve. So may we, may we live a life that is truly a life lived for Christ, a life that is all encompassed by Christ. And may we do this for your glory alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Please stand as we sing our last song for today, Live for the Kingdom. Thank you, Reich, uh, for that wonderful message from Psalm 2. Uh, it's good to be reminded of who Jesus is. Uh, he's not the Jesus meek and mild laying in the manger. He is a God 
who is ready to judge with equity and righteousness. And so the question is, do we plot in vain or do we take refuge in the sun? This is the hour to be serving the king as we just sung. And so let's consider uh, what Riker said to us today uh, in Psalm 2 and what God has said to our hearts. Um, Kids are ready uh, to be picked up um, straight after the service. Uh, The only other two things I just want to remind us is the COVID sign-in down the back. Um, If you haven't had your name checked off, you should have if you're a regular, but if you're visiting here, there is a QR code to scan. um, Take down your details uh, for COVID tracking. Uh, And finally, just a reminder uh, that down the back, uh, Jan and Jenny are going to be praying uh, for the Building Fund stuff uh, after the service. So if you'd like to join them as well. Uh, to pray for uh, the future of our church and to give uh, some of this stuff up to uh, God. We're going to close uh, today in prayer, though, and uh, I encourage you to uh, think about what has been said and to encourage one another after this as well. Father God, we thank you for what we've heard in Psalm 2. Lord, we thank you that you are a God uh, who doesn't look upon sin and just ignore it. You are a God uh, who takes our sin very seriously and that you've appointed your son Jesus as king and creator of the universe to be the judge of that sin. So, Lord, I pray that if we do not see the depths of our own sin in our hearts, that you would show it to us and help us to take refuge in the son, lest he be angry with us and his wrath kindled against us to our destruction. Lord, help us to trust in Jesus all of our days and to encourage one another to do the same. And we lift this to you in his name we pray. Amen.